0: We are very delighted to have Dr. Octavio Chon uh, for this uh, Blue SciCon seminar. His topic is astrobioethics. Dr. Chon is a professor at the, uh, I think, Universidad de Lima. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Excellent. And he's also the founder and president of ASPAST, which is the association, uh, the Peruvian Association for Astrobiology. Uh, so yeah. great to have a little bit of international colleagues here, yeah. and Octavio. Please begin your presentation, and welcome.
1: Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. It's uh, an honor for me to be here sharing this new field of study, astrobiotics. What is astrobiotics? Uh, Is it a science, humanities? What's the nature, the disciplinary nature of astrobiotics? So everything starts last year in the Congress in Manizales. Do you remember, Jacob? Everything started with um, an idea, Jesus Martinez Frias, I don't know if you hear of him, he's the president of the planetology and astrobiology in Spain. He gave me this idea to work on it uh, with the working group on astrobiotics. And give a philosophical foundation for astrobiotics because, till now, there is no any paper, scientific paper, on, on the issue, on the topics. And uh, just recently, I sent a an, an paper to the International Journal of Astrobiology and has been accepted. So, it's just a matter of time until <clears throat> it's published. And once it's published, I'm going to share it with you. And this time, I'm going to talk to you about a little bit of this, this new field of study, astrobiotics, and also a little bit of the nature, the disciplinary nature Astrobiology, the multi-inter and transdisciplinarity and the, the different uh, fields of public outreach opportunities for the public outreach in science and astrobiotics but let's start with the beginning. Astrobioethics then. Astrobiotics emerged as a new discipline from astrobiology and ethics, and this studies the ethical implication of astrobiological exploration. I mean, Everything that has to do with astrobiology, but in a moral dimension, in a ethical pondering, it's inside astrobiotics. But is this, is this astrobiotics necessary? Can we use another field of study? Why we talk about astrobiotics? We can talk about ethics solely and that's it. But we're going to see that astrobiotics it's very important because um, we want to have questions that we don't have it in other fields of study. Um, for example, just giving a, a little bit what I'm going to talk further. one question is, um, are we the guardian of life in the universe? And if we are, uh, so we might have some more obligation to expand life in universe, but if we don't. If we are not the guardian of life in the universe, then that's a little bit uh, complicated because uh, let's think about it. If we're going to go to Mars, what's the window time allowed for us to wait and be sure that there is no life in Mars? So we can set people, we can do something in the, on the ground. So Astrobiotic is, is going to talk about these kind of issues, legal issues, moral issues, social issues we're going to see it now but before that let's talk about some some a little bit of the disciplinary nature of astrobioethics that comes from astrobiology also it's an interdisciplinary discipline but with a transdisciplinary modus operandi what this means in science we can find different ways of interaction in scientific knowledge uh, we are used to hear about disciplines, scientific disciplines, like independently each one of from another. But we have also the notion of mono, multi, inter and transdisciplinarity. And each one of them has their own nature. Let's say, for example, monodisciplinary, What is this? Is the parcellation of reality, let's say so, that enable us to study the reality more efficiently. So you have. Uh, you you can know very much, a little bit, uh, but what's the problem here? Uh, you can become a micro-wise. I say micro-wise is the people who uh, is an expert, has expertise on a, a little bit of the part of the reality, but it might become a macro-ignorance. I mean, people who knows much about little and almost nothing on everything else. So, uh, monodisciplinarity is good, because you have a lot of knowledge, but the problem is a lot of knowledge of something specific. But in astrobiology, you need more than that. You need to make connections to establish links between different disciplines, between biology, and chemistry, and philosophy, or so on. So monodisciplinarity, it's good for its own terms. In history, Teacher that uh, this this for this, this point of view the multidisciplinarity uh, give us uh, very precise knowledge but now we need more than that we have also multidisciplinarity that is not uh, very different from monodisciplinarity because in multidisciplinarity and I this uh, idea from the uh, UNESCO uh, says they they say multidisciplinary is the space where different disciplines come together for the same purpose but among the disciplines themselves there is no deep methodological interaction so you have the mono disciplines the traditional mono disciplines you put it all together but you don't have uh, a deep interaction i mean it's like a, you go to a party you go to a party you have your soccer team maybe but you can talk with your, your partner, your friend that is from a different team, but at the end of the day, you go back home, but you are, you don't change uh, teams. You, you keep your own team from the beginning. So something like that happens with multidisciplinary. You might have many different uh, disciplines, but at the end between among the disciplines, there is no uh, a deeper uh, interaction. So at the end, you're going to have a perception of reality that's going to remain the same, the parcellation. Multidisciplinarity is good because uh, it's the first level of interaction between science. So if you want to have astrobiotics or astrobiology, in a sense, uh, you need this point of, of a start. Then you have interdisciplinarity that is the space or two or more disciplines converge to increase the specialized knowledge of one of the involved. I mean, you have two or more, but one of them is going to lead the research. It's going to lead the the point of view of what you are looking for. One or more disciplines provide knowledge to strengthen another in their own field, but there is a discipline horizon. What is the discipline horizon? I call a discipline horizon Well, for example, you have maybe philosophy and biology then you have philosophy of biology, but when you study the the terms of biology, you do it in the in the way of philosophy. Because when you do philosophy of biology, you're not doing you're not doing biology itself. You're doing philosophy. So this is an example of interdisciplinarity, but what you see that there is one discipline or maybe more uh, giving the knowledge for one in special in particular. This is the discipline horizon. So in interdisciplinarity you have again uh, increasing and increasing in the uh, precise knowledge that comes from the monodisciplinarity. So interdisciplinarity is a way more complex, but at the end it is not making the right connections for studying reality in a way that allow you not to to understand it in a reductionist way you need in astrobiology another point of view that allows you to to understand reality to treat reality in a way that uh, there is no discipline horizon but there is um what you call it in spanish and uh, we replace the word importance for relevant in in a transdisciplinary Activity, you don't have the the discipline horizon. You have instead a discipline that gives you the tools for for resolve or give solution for certain problems in the astrobiology uh, research, but uh, in different contexts, in different moments, and that's the the particular in in the nature of, of astrobiology, but. But let's remember that the notion of transdisciplinarity uh, is not only one notion. We have even two notions. That's why I, I put here notion of transdisciplinarity. Sorry, here I, I think it says notion of the But is my correction, corrector from English to Spanish. But let's say uh, one notion of transdisciplinarity is the Nicolespus, It's a holistic posture. Providing general theories of knowledge handling a unified methodology. Uh, you hear me? Hello? you there? Yes, yes, we hear you very well. Okay, I was worried because I, I didn't hear nothing. Okay, uh, we have two notions of transdisciplinarity. The first one is a very metaphysical one because it wants to unify it, unify all the methodologies in science so you're gonna have uh, one unique methodology in science but that's impossible because you can't mix and make one unify the methodology that's ontological in ontologically impossible and then you think master biology has one only methodology No, oh, master biology is not characterized by one methodology and we're gonna see that i make I made a, um, a brief survey to Charles Coquel, asking this particular question. and uh, he, he told me, in other things, that astrobiology don't have one unique methodology. And that might be a problem for some people that it's more connected with the monodisciplinarity. People who is more in, in the monodisciplinary way point of view, they might think that Astrobiology is not a science because they are thinking in a reductionist way. But you think from the transdisciplinarity point of view, you might see Astrobiology as a different, uh, not different, but a different nature and disciplinarity nature in science. But then we have another notion of transdisciplinarity, Gibbons. Gibbons et al. considers it as a methodological tool not defined a priori. i mean in the transdisciplinary notion the second one the the one that empathize more with astrobiology in this concept uh, transdisciplinary modus operandi uh, methodology is not given a priority not uh, you don't have a, a, a right way to do things in the transdisciplinarity you get it in the process a posteriori arises in the in the interconnection interaction of different disciplines i mean how is this possible Transdisciplinarity emerge as a tool yes but as a tool that uh, uh, takes shape in the in the process in the application uh, because You have so many disciplines involved that you can't just like the first notion of transdisciplinarity make one unified uh, point of of methodology. You can't. So if you can't do that, then each time you apply transdisciplinarity ideas, you're going to have to to adapt adapt it to the context you have to do as the context goes on. So you're going to never have something a priori, you're going to have always an a posteriori. And then well, we have here an opinion of Astrobiologist Charles Coquel, I made this brief survey last year also, I made this question between 10 questions that I sent it to him. My question was, does the Astrobiology has an own methodology, and he, he said to me. It uses a wide variety of methods to answer scientific questions from lab-based methods to field studies and spacecraft analysis this is exactly what he said to me and as you can see this is the concept for the second notion of transdisciplinarity but the detail here detail is the is that professor charles cokel he don't exactly know what is the word transdisciplinarity but he he use, he uses the concept of transdisciplinarity for astrobiology. So this is something very interesting because yeah, that's tell us something that we we are having a change in the notion of what is the nature, the disciplinary nature of science, of the new science, better say. And with with this set, we can say that. If we want to understand the nature of astrobiology or astrobiotics in general, you're going to have to change the point of view. Other way, you're going to have just a negative critic, a negative point of view of what is looking for astrobiotics and astrobiology, of course. So putting this now is clear. Now we have what is the mono-multi-internet transdisciplinarity, and now we have that Astrobiology and astrobiotics, for instance, is a transdisciplinarity way of two things. Now astrobiotics inherits inherits the versatility of, versatility of philosophy, since ethics, as we know, is a branch of it, of philosophy, ethics is a branch of philosophy, and inherits the transdisciplinarity nature from astrobiology, as I said just. Um, a few minutes. Ethics is not properly a science, but enables us to propose critical analysis in order to make and take decisions. So, what it this means that in ethics, it's a branch of humanities, of philosophy. So you have the 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 essence of philosophy and make questions, make right questions, and not solution yet, but make us think, make us pondering about. The consequences about the the moral nature of of astrobiotics. So ethics uh, give us this opportunity because if we are going just uh, from science, uh, pure science, uh, we might be a little bit short. We need also humanities, and ethics if the humanity component for astrobioethics So you don't have only. The science, but you have also humanities, and you have also the transdisciplinary nature from astrobiology. So you have a very mixture here, the transdisciplinary point of view, uh, the ethics, and the astrobiology. So you have a, a very good potential here to make of this new field of science, of of academic science. Um, very, hopefully in English. Uh, we we hope to have a lot of results here. At the institutional level, astrobiotics, astrobiotics has participation for the first time in the International Working Group on Astrobiotics, as I said at the beginning of this seminar, in, at the, the last year, led by Jesús Martínez Frías. Um, this working group is, is we are like six, nine, nine, nine people here working on this new field of study and uh, papers on astrobiotics as i said uh, the one i sent just a few months is possibly the first one on the on the field in the world who knows but till until now uh, i was looking for new topics of astrobiotics but there is none i found astroethics, and what is astroethics? Uh, i'm gonna talk about it later but uh, no nothing about astrobiotics not any paper yet due to technological limitations astrobiotics uses much of mental experiments of course because let's remember ethics inherits from philosophy and philosophy uses a lot of mental experiments in order to help us to extend the meaning and use of certain concepts within the astrobiological framework of course we cannot go yet to, to any exoplanet. We didn't find yet a different kind of life, non-terrestrial. So, about what we're we gonna talk uh, about moral consequences when we possibly find life, well, we have we can do it in our mental experiments. For example, what is the moral consequence in contaminated the native life on Mars? Uh, we don't have any evidence of life on Mars yet, but but through the mental experiment in astrobioethics, we can suppose and, and make questions and give some solution for certain problems that uh, sooner or later we might expect. So, uh, in astrobioethics, we have this, this chance of work on these mental experiments and see until what point we are available able to to face these new challenges and here we have this little uh, how you call it the disciplinary branch of astrobiotics that I did just for the paper and you see everything what I said just a few minutes ago philosophy on the top because from philosophy comes ethics and ethics and astrobiology goes together and you have, as a result, astrobioethics. But astrobiotics might have three fundamental aspects. Uh, I put it here, I put it three, why three? Why legal, ethical and social? Because with the legal aspect, I found that we have yeah, we have the, the cost part, for example, the policy of planetary protection. In the ethical aspect, is very important because in the cost part, there is any mention of ethics or moral aspect and it it is important if if you want to do astrobiotics that you talk about the ethical aspect of everything you do in astrobiology exploration and at at the end the social aspect because as we're going to see in this in this speech in this seminar a population uh, the role of of people is very important here Uh, their opinion what they think or the way they can participate and and the public outreach the potential outreach outreach that has the astrobiotics so let's examine this uh, one by one these three aspects uh, should represent the initial point of debate for astrobiotics the legal ethical and social and i just put in each of them a a representative uh, concept a representative idea for example the first one Legal aspect, policy of planetary protection, because you have a, a policy space, a policy of planetary protection is going to talk about, for example, the the treaty of the UN, the, the United Nations treaty about the outer space. Uh, we're going to see it now. The second one is the ethical aspect, human beings as guardians of life in the universe. Uh, we're going to see it also social aspect, the social responsibility in the informative aspect. And this has to do with, for example, what's our role, what's our participation against pseudoscience, for example, because pseudoscience in the life in the topics and issues of life in universe uh, is very important. We have a, a educational role in all of this. So the legal aspect is about, for example, policy of planetary protection. Everything starts with the 3D of the outer space of the United Nations. However, in this treaty, is not much of astrobiological interest. It has been written in the 60s, but in that time, there was much interest in astrobiological research yet. But the point here is that it's the beginning of a serious point of views about a role and how to behave in space exploration. So the contribution of this three is our self-consciousness of what we are gonna do, of who we are, or what's our interest in space exploration. Where are we going for peace, for war, for what? And how to behave. So this is a self-consciousness in a in a cosmic context, let's say. So uh, here I have here I have a, a little side. Outer space and uh, celestial bodies are not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, uh, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. So this should apply also for finding life in other celestial bodies. So because if one country or one enterprise find a different kind of life in a different celestial body, uh, it shouldn't be allowed to them to claim the sovereignty or, or, the, the pat- or any kind of appropriation because it's, it's unethical, it's going against the astrobiological principle that comes from this treaty of the United Nations. So these uh, peaceful intentions, intentions that comes from the United Nations should be replicated in astrobioethics I think that we can Take this very important part of astrobioethics from the, this treaty of space of the United Nations. So, with the COSPAR, the Committee of Space Researchers, we have a yes, we have a direct astrobiological interest. I mean, uh, it's different with the treaty of outer space of the United Nations. We didn't have any astrobiological interest, but with the COSPAR, yes, we have. And, we have even five different categories in its protocol for space missions. For example, we, found, we have category one. It includes, it includes all the missions that are of no interest for the study of the chemical evolution of life. So category one, it not represent any interest in astrobiological goal yet. So let's, let's leave the category one. Let's go for the category two they are all the missions that may represent a relative interest for the evolution of life, with a remote probability that a spacecraft landing there compromises it for future investigations." So, the uh, astrobiological interest in category 2 is not just high, it's just, uh, let's say, we have to be careful with the study of the object, but there is no yet some uh, Chemistry interest for uh, life. Category three, it includes some types of missions such as orbiting, orbiting planets, orbiting objects, sorry, that have astrobiological interest and that when having contact with the object of a study may compromise future research. So in this one, yes, we have some astrobiological interest because it's telling us that if you mess up with some uh, celestial body that it has the potential to have life or some uh, future research for having life, uh, then you have to be careful because if you go and you don't have a special treatment here, uh, you might compromise the potential life that there, that there is, for example, in Enceladus or in Mars. So when you are orbiting, orbiting uh, these objects, you have to uh, have to follow uh, these steps this category three to avoid any contact with the object that potential potentially have life or any chemistry of interest for having life and the category four we have these are the missions involving rovers or or probes landing on celestial objects that have a high astrobiological interest for the understanding of life in the universe so uh, for example cu- curiosity the curiosity the rubber curiosity is inside the category four and this involves a high astrobiological interest so any steps any precautions of sending these rovers the cleaner as possible are going to be taken so the rover we're going to send for mars have to be very clean. I mean, no possibility to contaminate Mars uh, are allowed. We have to avoid that. But that, that's something curious because we have there the category 4, category 4, and that's it. Then we have the category category 5. And what says the category 5? It says that in this category for all the missions that involve a sample return to the Earth. So we have the 4 and the 5. The 4 is about we go in there, and the five is about uh, bringing something to the earth. And when we have the category five, we have to be very careful because we don't have to contaminate us. So we have a protocol to avoid our contamination. But how to to avoid contamination in other planets? You only have the category four. And you don't have any mention of ethics or moral consequences or any punishment to any nation or enterprise. That's a big uh, a missing point, because you have a protocol that tells you how to act when you go to another planet when you bring samples, but there is no any mention of punishment or something like that. Um, that's missing. Now there is no mention as I said, of the word ethics in this document. Its limitations is that only represent a protocol, but no further moral aspect is on discussion. But there is no any discussion on this protocol. Astrobioethics must emphasize the ethical aspect. So, in my point of view, astrobioethics, astrobioethics must fulfill these missing spots. And in the process of fulfilling these missing spots, we want to have uh, a discipline yeah, that is going to give you some answers and maybe more questions, because let's remember astrobioethics inherits, inherits the ethics philosophical art of it, which give us more questions, more than answers. So but in any way, there is a, an important uh, role for astrobioethics right now to fulfill these missing spots. In astrobiological exploration. Further discussion involves public awareness on these debates. I remember that there are already workshops discussing these topics, but there is not yet a protocol telling us what are what are these consequences. Yeah. Letting us know to know the social aspect on this. Before we go to the social aspect, let's analyze the ethical aspect then. In this situation, we're gonna see that the the ethical aspect of of astrobioethics is different from the legal aspect, because let's remember, the legal and the moral are not always together. You can have a a law for something, but the law doesn't mean that it's, it's moral, if you understand me. But let's go with the ethical aspect. Ethics is a branch of philosophy that studies the moral content of our acts and decisions. In astrobioethics the issue is about if we humans have non-Terran ethical responsibilities. So what does this means? That are we human beings have a moral responsibility beyond than our uh, Terran responsibilities? Do we have any cosmical responsibilities, for example? Are we the guardians of life in the universe? If answer is yes, then we must propagate it, because if we are the only ones protecting life in the universe, that's a logical answer. But if not, then propagate it represents a real threat for other forms of life we do not know. Because remember, if we go and send people to Mars, then with any certain that there is no life, then we might be compromised. We represent a real threat for the different forms of life that might be living in Mars. Now, the principle of precaution is suggested for these situations. For example, what's the ideal amount of time for waiting until send people to Mars, considering that we must be sure there is no risk for extraterrestrial life? 50, 200 years? You can say 10 years, maybe 30 years, even if you say 500 years. Let's say you say 500 years. you say 500 years okay you have a long window of time where you research you do research to make sure there is no life but science is not perfect you can always have have some spots that you are missing and maybe in that missing spot there is life so there's gonna be always be a risk there is gonna be always be a risk in the idea of sending people on Mars or sending some organic components to Mars. And the, the, the final judgment for this is going to be upon on what the, the leaders of this research, um, what they think, why they consider, or why they judge. It's going to be up to them or the political situation. Let's remember that science is in part a product of culture. And maybe for political pressure it's not going to be 500 years, maybe 50 years or 20 years, which is worst. Because what what can you study in in 20 years? So you have always seen, you have always this risk when you talk about the ethical aspect of astrobiology. Because legal and ethical issues are not necessarily together, that's why ethical foundations are essential for setting the basis for an updated legal aspect. So let's remember, the the legal aspect in philosophy is very different from the moral aspect, not always together. And finally, we have the social aspect. This aspect is about the astrobiologist responsibility, the public outreach, diffusion and dissemination in science. These are three different dimensions of uh, communication in science. And in which astrobiology has a very important role. Let's start with the more basic of them the public outreach. This public outreach in astrobiotics must face pseudoscience. Extraterrestrial life has been very used in ufologist places, for example, many times because the scientist's role is missing. What 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 do I mean with this? For example, you have a debate, a table of debate, when you have maybe three, two ufologists, and then they give you a letter of invitation to participate. But you say no, because it's going to be full of people who believe in, in extraterrestrials visiting us. But when you say no to that invitation, you're not saying no to that person who is inviting you. You're saying no to all that people that is expecting some answers. Maybe they are they are in the wrong places. but. If you don't go there it's gonna be a missing role uh, people is gonna be uh, how you call it? Mm, these people that has the chance to hear you instead is gonna hear the pseudo scientists and that's that's wrong Many times here in Peru for example I hear scientists uh, denying invitation for these public spaces of debate just because of the reputation they say, but that's not good. You need to go and face people and tell your version of science and not close yourself for the information you have. You have to, to, to give your face to the public. Now, scientific diffusion, in the other hand, involves communication in science between a public who is in the process of learning science. For example, a mature school or PhD undergraduate students. In scientific diffusion, there is uh, a language of science a little bit more uh, specific. In the first one, in the public outreach of science, you have a language language um, a way to say things m- more broadly, um, more for the people day to day. In scientific diffusion, you have a middle term of scientific uh, way of say things. Now. In this scientific diffusion, you have the opportunity to make connection, to establish links between different disciplines. Let's remember that that Astrobiology and Astrobiotics, for instance, they have the transdisciplinarity nature of science. So they have many different science in, in Astrobiology. And when you have the speech of Astrobiology or Astrobiotics, you have the speech of many of the different points of view of different sciences so you make a big web of connections that allows you to understand the reality not in a parcelation way but in an interconnected way now dissemination is more about a specialized speech between researchers and this is the stage where the transdisciplinarity level must point in astrobioetics of course, the first level is the public outreach, because if I, am an, if I am a philosopher and my partner is a biology and I don't know nothing about biology, my first point, my first um, uh, step to know biology is going to be uh, a simple language. But then you have to, to point to more if you want to do a serious, business, serious research in astrobiotics. But then now we have that universities must promote transdisciplinary environments like workshops or parallel courses, and this is going to help astrobioethics to be nourished positively because as long we have more interaction between more different disciplines in astrobioethics it's going to be better because ethics is about communication. Because it inherits from philosophy, ethics is about dialogue, and this dialogue it's also between disciplines, and let's see this: ethics is about communication, okay? And astrobiology has to do with transdisciplinarity. So put together transdisciplinarity and dialogue from ethics, you have a good combination here, and you have a, a good place to have uh, an interest uh, environment for new ideas, for new potential, for new point of views. And this is just starting with astrobioethics. Astro- astrobioethics is, is more openly for humanities, because has these ethics components very explicit. In social aspect, astrobioethics discuss the political aspect of discovering life in the universe. For example, would religion change? Do you think or do we think that religion is gonna change? Is gonna disappear? Or, what's going to happen with religion? Cultural consequences and so on are topics also in astrobioethics. Of course, what's the degree of change or impact that's going to have this potential discovering of life in Mars, in the universe in general? Uh, maybe it's going to happen, like uh, Carl Sagan say, said in, in his book, Contact. I don't know if you remember the movie. Also, I remember this scene when uh, we had these uh, terrorists uh, trying to protect us, protect us for, from any contact from other kind of lives. So very, very crazy, but it's possible also. And then we have possible critic to astrobiotics, I found a couple of possible criti- negative critics. The negative critic on astrobioethics could be that if astrobiologists don't have a def- defined object of a study, for example, what is life, then there is no sense in generate astrobioethics. Of course, somebody can say, uh, What is life? You are studying life in the universe, but you don't know what is life. So if you don't know what is life, why are you even there to, to generate astrobioethics? This critic is wrong, since science is made by constructs. What, you, what are these constructs? They are like building blocks of ideas. One construct is like a piece of a, of a big, uh, how you call it? big panorama, of a big picture. You have this idea and must fit, must fit in the in the picture. Uh, no, any idea can fit in the picture you have to use the right idea and the definition of object of study is not precise in any scientific discipline so when somebody says that astrobiotics is not allowed because we don't know what it's like it's just wrong because okay you have life in, in astrobiology but then you have other concept that, that there, there is no a sufficient uh, definition Oh, in science, for example, in physics, what is the matter at the end, what is the matter is kind of philosophical. Do We have a philosophical explanation of matter of the matter in the universe. In philosophy, we have we have these problems in philosophy of science specifically. In any case, the structure of scientific knowledge in astrobiology legitimize it to be a science because independently that you have a definition of life or not, you have the structure of astrobiology. The structure of astrobiology and astrobioethics is made by constructs, and since this is made by constructs, it's a science. Another critic is astroethics also exists, so astrobioethics is not essential. What this means, uh, I'm sure you heard before about astroethics. I found myself with some papers and books talking about astroethics, uh, but yes, might be considered an antecessor of astrobioethics, but astrobioethics is more specific about life in space. Also, astrobioethics recognizes the transdisciplinar role of research and public outreach, things that you don't find in astroethics. In astroethics, you find some of these questions, but not established, as in astrobiology. I don't know if you understand what I mean. In, in astrobioethics, and in, in and, and in ethics in astrobiology also, you have uh, a different nature, a different way of process these problems of life in universe. And by its nature, it's essential to be considered a new discipline. I mean, astroethics is like, I don't know, let's say exobiology to astrobiology. In exobiology, you have a very narrow uh, point of view, very narrow uh, field of action. But instead, in astrobioethics, as in astrobiology, you have a, a broad, broad uh, field of action. So you have more opportunities to find. Um, more questions and answers in the process of astrobioethics than astrobio astroethics solely. So, in, and if you consider everything what I said in these 50 minutes, I think uh, astrobioethics emerged uh, as a new field of study uh, that it's a healthy connection between scientific point of view and the point of view from humanities and in this process it's going to be very interesting uh, it's going to be very interesting see how the the academic uh, community is going to react when the new papers of astrobiotics are going to be published what what they're going to say what the new critics they're going to express and well about astrobiotics this is a little resume And with a little more addition that I made of this paper that I I just made the comment of of it to you uh, at the beginning. And this is everything for, for now. Thank you. I don't know if you have some questions. Thank you very much,
0: Octavio. This is a wonderful presentation. It's, it seems uh, we at Rural Space have been following astrobioethics without realizing it. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah. that's good. Um, uh, also, thank you for uh, giving uh, this you know, in-depth presentation in English, which is not your native language. It's not something that's easy to do. So uh, thank you very much yeah. for that effort. It was, it was very enjoyable. Uh, my, my question is on the uh, exploration uh, about you mentioned that that humans may be the guardians of life in the universe, right? And if we are, that means we have to spread it to colonize, and if we're not, we shouldn't. We have to be very careful. Is there a middle ground, or is it completely explored, not at all, depending on whether we are alone in the universe? Because that's not, that's not a question we'll be able to answer, really, right?
1: Yeah, we can say that we have the answer, yes or no, because that's too extremist, from the two, let's say, the narrow point of view. We can say that uh, remembering the transdisciplinary uh, way of doing things, the answer is going to depend on the context of the situation. We cannot have a, an answer right now. If we say we are the guardian of the universe, That's going to be something of faith, something that one believes as individual, but why? Because you need to have evidence, if you have the evidence of life in everything somewhere in the universe, well, depending on on the situation of this life, you can do or not do or not to do certain actions, but again. Uh, let's say, this. we don't need to go far away to think about it. We have Mars. It's possible that in Mars there is life. If you send people to Mars, you are risking the potential life on Mars. That's a fact. There is a risk. So how long do you have to wait until you send the people to Mars? It's going to depend on the political uh, situation on the, the public interest, economical interest. And then, of course, we have now there in this in this debate, we have the astrobioethics. So, astrobioethics is going to help us to think the, the better fundament, funda, how do you call it? Fundamentation. Um, it's going to help us to make decisions. It's going to help us to have the framework to make decisions. So maybe to not feel you bad for taking this decision, maybe, I don't know, sometimes happens. Or maybe you're just following the evidence. But at the end, if you have evidence, at the end, it's gonna be the same. It's gonna be because ethics is not a, a hard science. And astrobiotics has very of ethics. So at the end, it's gonna depend on human factor. When you have less risk, you can put 500 years It's going to be the same. Five hundred years is nothing in a planetary context. You know that. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So it seems like we should use your fundamental of precaution um, while we explore, assuming that you know we are alone. And then once we do find life, then just really stop and think about the next steps. Something like that. I don't.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Any other questions?
2: Hi, Octavio. Thank you very much for for your talk. Um, I just want to ask you sort of a, a kind of wild hypothetical question. Let's just say that we hypothesize that there is microbial life on Mars. Okay. Now, obviously, we're facing some real ethical challenges and dilemmas there with regard to planetary protection, particularly if humans are going to go to Mars. And uh, if that's going to happen relatively soon, and if Elon Musk and some other entrepreneurs have anything to say about it, it will happen relatively soon. More like your 20 years rather than 200 years. So, what do you see a difference, an ethical difference, between the situation if that microbial life on Mars had a common origin with life on Earth, or if it's a separate genesis of life from life on Earth? Do you see an ethical difference between those two situations?
1: Good question. I would start with the ontological interest. What do I you mean? Life uh, independently is related to Earth or not, it's life there. So in this, if we start from this idea, we're going to have to protect it. And the ethical implication is going to be the same in this, in this uh, framework, because it's life itself and independently it came from the earth or not, it's now life on, on Mars. And the ethical implication, I think, is going to be the same. No difference if it's extraterrestrial or terrestrial, because since it's living there and it's independent from us. That's enough. Thank you. You're welcome.
3: Hi, Octavio, can you hear me? Is it working now? Yes. Hi.
1: I hear you. Good.
3: So uh, I was, I was uh, happy that you talked about uh, space policy and the tie in to the Outer Space Treaty, which it definitely I think astrobiology has a lot to offer in terms of the lens that we're viewing space exploration um, so I I, um, I don't necessarily have a particular question I actually wanted to mention that we've been having a lot of discussions about space policy and space settlement through blue marble space and this might be a conversation that you may, may be interested in, in continuing to contribute to um, you've been holding meetings every couple of months and and there's, you know you gave a really great overview of space really broad topics and so you know the outer Space treaty we've spent a couple of, of meetings really unpacking that and um, I think you know there's, there's certainly we have a couple of legal experts who've been helping us understand this but there's certainly you know the legal expertise the ethical expertise philosophical expertise in addition to the science really important in understanding this so um, I guess I you know we can follow up over email in, in inviting you to join these conversations i just asked a question, though, for the purpose of, of this. Um, you know, what do you think are, are the most important, um, you know, sort of the, what's the most important vantage point that astrobiology brings to thinking about the Outer Space Treaty and the future of the Outer Space Treaty?
1: Well, the Outer Space Treaty, when I read it, I seen very limited point of view if we compare it to the present. Let's remember that our treaty was written in the sixties. So from the sixties to our age to our uh, year, it's a very long difference. And it needs to be updated. We need to make a committee, a special committee, and say to the United Nations, hey, let's update this 3 uh, treaty because we don't have any other reference now. We have the policy protection quality of policy of protection but we need more, we need a regulation with uh, some punishments also, explicit. Uh, what you have, what you can do, what you cannot do, um, which countries are involved, uh, what's the paper of, of, the, of the, enterprises, the enterprises, all the actors uh, involved, uh, being very specific. We need a document that uh, shows to us all these details. Because until now you have, for example, space space X to send people sooner or later. It's an, uh, enterprises. But what says the, the United Nations about it? What says the outer space treaty about astrobiological interests? Nothing. Uh, what happens if they contaminate Mars? What says the outer space treaty? Nothing. Nothing. You you go well, find you. I read all the, the document. Nothing about. Uh what's a and me or Octavio Chong wants to go to Mars and live there, I don't know. And I contaminate the planet. Nobody sent me to jail. I don't have to pay nothing to anybody. So right now it's like free for all. Literally it's free for all. And we need to convince the United Nations to change <laughs> uh, update this space treaty. Sooner, yeah, yeah. the sooner the better.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. We're actually uh, working on that internally, uh, like Jacob mentioned, with Blue Marble Space and thinking of ways to update the uh, the Outer Space Treaty. But the challenge we found, if we go through the UN process, it is so slow compared to how fast space exploration technology is advancing that we we think that it's actually not a viable solution. So, uh, but we can have this conversation internally. We have a we have another group that's focusing on thinking of ways to, to, to revise the Outer Space Treaty it would be wonderful if you be involved.
1: Well, I would recommend to do the update by ourselves and give it to the United Nations as a proposal. Yeah, um, the,
0: other, Yeah, there are many different paths we're, we're thinking about and on how to do that. Oh, yeah. So, but There are challenges in all of them. Um, so before we close, maybe we have time for one more question. If not, Octavio, thank you very much for uh, for, for sharing your your, your your thoughts on astrobioethics. Very much looking forward to the paper. I'm glad that's a topic that emerged
1: from the Colombia conference. This is wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to uh, give a speech of this astrobioethics at the next uh, conference, international conference in Chile, November. Okay, great. Right. Uh, hopefully, we
0: can stream this conference somehow. <laughs> is, is Armando organizing it?
1: No, no, it's the International Union of Astronomy. Oh, it's
0: an IEU conference.
1: OK, very cool.
0: Fantastic. OK, well, great to see you all. Thank you again, Octavio. It was very, very interesting. Uh, please let, let me know you when the help. paper comes out, and we'll, I'll distribute it.
2: Yes. Sure. <laughs> OK,
0: bye-bye, everyone.